Hello and welcome to another episode of Market Scale Health. I'm your host, Devin Bentley, and today we have Paul Steubenbort with us. He is the founder and president of Denali Creative, a marketing firm that specializes in ophthalmology. And we're going to dive deep into ophthalmology, his consulting work, and everything that he has seen uh, so far in his many years in the business. Paul, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thanks, Evan, for having me. And Paul, what we're going to go over is, I understand you do a few other um, medical practices and specialties as well, primarily ophthalmology. So what we talk about will spread out across other specialties. But why don't you go ahead and describe your journey to us, how you got into this world and up to this point, what brought you here? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, uh, Denali Creative actually started off as Steubenborg Consulting, and we actually work in many facets. Our specialty is really ophthalmology. Uh, secondary would probably be dentistry. I mean, we also work in some other subspecialties, um, such as plastic surgery, cardiology. Um, and I just love medicine. I always grew up as kind of a little bit of a, a science uh, geek. Um, so, you know, it's kind of a, a, a funny story. Got out of school. Um, you know, came back to Dallas where I grew up and I uh, sent out a bunch of resumes. I got a job selling hardwoods um, to cabinet makers. And, you know, I really didn't like it. It wasn't it wasn't my cup of tea at all. Um, so after about a year of doing that, I went home and told my uh, wife, I was like, I just this isn't me. And I literally sent out about 500 resumes. Um, there was a practice in Dallas that called me. Um, which at the time was one of the largest LASIK practices in the country. They spent um, an absorbent amount of money on marketing, close to uh, four to $7 million a year. And I started off there as a counselor. So my job was when patients would call um, and get a uh, consultation for LASIK vision correction. My job was to educate them on LASIK when they came into the practice, if they were a candidate, and uh, let them know what their options were, financial options, and you know, basically get them scheduled um, for their procedure. Now, um, did that for two years. I was also um, kind of the marketing liaison at that practice between him and his agency. And um, after a few years, me and my wife um, had twins. Uh, we were very blessed. And we moved to Indiana where her parents were at the time. And I was uh, the marketing director for Indiana University um, School of Ophthalmology or their ophthalmology department. A vast difference in culture. Um, one was basically sales driven with a gigantic marketing budget. Um, and one was basically a research center. Um, I liked it a lot. For a year and a half I worked there, I was basically kind of taken in as a medical student. I learned a lot about eyes that I would never think was fathomable. And after um, uh, my time there, I just, you know, I became bored. Um, it wasn't quite the same volume. In fact, we did more in, in one week at the practice that I did in Dallas in terms of LASIK volume that we did in an entire year at this practice in Indiana. So it's very fortunate. I moved on um, to a practice in Terre Haute, Indiana, uh, where we grew their LASIK volume pretty quickly. Um, um, I was lucky enough to have an article written about uh, what I did at this practice. Um, it was called the LASIK Rainmaker. And um, I would uh, have doctors calling me from all over the U.S. want me to come in and help with their staff, their staff training. And um, I'd use my vacation time to go do so. And when I ran out of vacation time, that's when I started getting my own clients and started my business. Um, and that was about 11 years ago. And we've grown quite a bit. You know, you know, we have about 65 clients nationwide, a mixture of 
ophthalmologist uh, and dentist primarily and, and some, um, you know, different subspecialties mixed in. That's fascinating. And so it sounds like, and let's keep the focus on ophthalmology for now. You've really learned the industry from the inside out, um, coming up from where you did, uh, learning it here in Dallas, going the education route through the university and then coming back and now being a consultant. So here's what I want to know. Uh, you've, you've obviously seen and, and everybody's witnessed many different changes, uh, in healthcare since, uh, bringing on of Obamacare and then trying to make a repeal and replace possibly all these different changes over the past 10 years constant changing in healthcare, but at the same time, you as a marketer uh, also realize many different changes in the marketing landscape. So combining the two, if you had to talk about just trends that you've witnessed changing that kind of overlap over the last couple of years, what have you witnessed trend-wise uh, within ophthalmology and within the medical? Sure. Well, I'll tell you, you know, there's a lot of ups and there's a lot of downs. Unfortunately, you know, health insurance is just not, it's not consistent. You know, for example, a cornea transplant, which is when somebody has a, a corneal disease such as keratoconus or Fuchs dystrophy, and they have to have either a full PK, which is penetrating keratoplasty, where they replace the entire cornea, or they have a partial corneal transplant called um, DSEC or decement stripping automated endothelial keratoplasty. These surgeries take a long time to complete, about an hour, uh, sometimes a little bit longer, um, sometimes a little bit shorter, depending on the surgeon's skill set and his techniques. And um, besides the surgery itself, these patients uh, have to be followed for a very long time. There could be tissue rejection. There could be um, very severe regular astigmatism. A lot of things could really happen. And those, those surgeries pay very, very little. But surgeons do it out of the love and compassion for what they do. That's why they went to school and became an eye doctor. Um, and then there's some other surgeries that are in ophthalmology um, that take very little time to do, and they're covered by insurance. Um, they take, you know, 60 seconds to do and they pay a lot. Um, so, you know, insurance billing is, is, is unfortunately really out of whack, especially uh, with the recent changes in medical insurance. Now, a lot of what my practice um, or my, my uh, scope of work um, focuses on is elective surgery. Um, this is going to be LASIK surgery and cataract surgery with premium lens implants. Um, so, in 2003, um, there was a CMS ruling, uh, CMS stands for Center for Medicare Services, that allowed uh, ophthalmologists to charge extra for a premium lens implant, which is placed within the eye during cataract surgery. Now, when you undergo cataract surgery, it's a fairly relatively quick procedure. It only takes a few minutes to complete. It's usually done in an ambulatory surgery center, um, and recovery time is very fast. Um, unfortunately, when you have cataract surgery, um, without a premium lens, you still have to wear glasses. Um, a lot of times, about 40 to 50% of patients have to wear glasses due to astigmatism for distance, and almost all patients have to wear reading glasses or bifocals to see up close and intermediate. With a premium lens implant, um, patients can significantly reduce or possibly even eliminate their need for glasses um, for everything, except for perhaps reading really fine print, such as the back of a medicine bottle or perhaps in a dark setting, such as a menu in a really dark restaurant. Um, so those things are really exciting. You know, most patients can do most things most of the time without glasses. So our clients, ophthalmologists, because of the really major declines and cuts and in, um, insurance reimbursements, especially through Medicare, they've had to find um, basically creative ways to increase their revenues. 
And not only because of declines, but the increase in cost of staffing, which has uh, been really on the rise these past few years because of our economy, and two, technology. Technology is incredibly expensive. So I would say in our industry, especially in anterior segment eye surgery with cataract surgeons, doctors are looking for ways to increase cataract patients more and more so and convert more and more of them to premium lenses, which is an out-of-pocket expense towards the patient. It's not covered by insurance. However, you know most patients can afford it, uh, do it, because it is something they're going to use every waking moment for the rest of their life, and um, they very much value it. Paul, that's incredibly interesting, just kind of taking us through so many changes over the past few years. One thing I do want to focus on is the revenue generation. I know you say that LASIK and a few other procedures are much more revenue producing for the surgeons. Um, and then you do also mention finding patients with cataracts and how to treat them. So we are a business to business health podcast. And so I'm going to talk a little business to business here. Um, oftentimes we hear of sales, whether it be from a device or pharmaceutical selling to a doctor, but I'm not sure everyone really knows about the doctor to doctor sales dynamic. You were telling me before this a little bit about how ophthalmologists will work with the optometrist to their patients or their sales. Can you kind of explain that dynamic for everybody listening? It's not, it's not really, um, it's not really based on sales. So an optometrist is an eye doctor that goes to um, school, gets their undergrad degree, then they go up to optometry school for four years. An ophthalmologist is um, a medical doctor. Um, they go to uh, get their undergrad, then they go to medical school, and then they do a residency in ophthalmology, and some of them will do subspecialty training called a fellowship in cornea, um, glaucoma, retina, and such. So um, about 70 to 80% of all eye exams are always going to be performed by an optometrist, not an ophthalmologist. Optometrists can do many, many things, but they can't do any type of surgery, and, and many states prohibit them from even doing something such as uh, removing metal from the eye. So when a patient does come into an optometrist's office, the optometrist does need to send them somewhere if they have a certain diseases such as uh, keratoconus or Fuchs dystrophy, uh, which are types of corneal diseases, um, cataracts, or if they need LASIK because the optometrist sim simply can't do the surgery. Now, for an ophthalmologist, um, you know, they love to get referrals um, over to um, their office for surgery from um, optometrists. And um, in a lot of practices, they'll do something called co-management, which is where the um, optometrist will do a lot of the preliminary pre-op testing. Um, they'll send the, the patient over to the ophthalmologist um, that they've really vetted out to make sure that they're efficient, they're really good, they're using the best technology and the best techniques and producing the best results. And what they'll do is the ophthalmologist will do the surgery. The ophthalmologist will typically see the patient um, at their one day, sometimes their one week post-op visit, and then they'll send the patient back to the optometrist. An optometrist will typically get a portion of the billing through Medicare if they're co-managing in a formal co-management relationship um, through Medicare for such uh, things such as cataract surgery. Um, for LASIK surgery and for premium lenses, um, usually the optometrist and ophthalmologist um, decide on a financial number which makes sense for the optometrist to see the pre-op and post-op of those patients. What this does is it allows ophthalmologists to get those patients um, that aren't having surgery 
in the hands of an optometrist that is probably going to be more local to that patient. The patient's probably more familiar with that doctor, and it allows the ophthalmologist to free up more time so they can focus on surgery and not post-op patients. It's really a win-win. The optometrist um, gets to know that they're sending their patients to a place they can trust for surgery, and they're also getting some, um, um, you know, basically uh, compensation for seeing those post-op patients. The ophthalmologist um, wins because, you know, he's getting to perform surgery, um, more surgical cases because he's getting more referrals from more optometrists, and he's being able to send those patients that he's doing surgery or she's being able to send those patients back um, to the optometrist where they know they're going to be in good hands for post-op care. And same thing, the optometrist is going to vet out the ophthalmologist and ophthalmologists are going to vet out the optometrist who they feel comfortable in seeing these post-ops. So that's the way eye care works in terms of, um, you know, relationships. And it's definitely not a financial relationship. You know, doctors can't refer for any type of financial reason. It just um, is, a, is a good way to uh, take care of the patient. Well, thanks for clarifying that, Paul. Um, and you're absolutely right. It does sound beneficial for all parties involved, most importantly, the patient, uh, but also beneficial for the ophthalmologist and the optometrist both. But um, it does sound like the more op uh, optometrists and ophthalmologists can have a relationship with, um, the better. So what tactics have you seen in your experience for creating these relationships and um, having a nice setup for referrals? Have you seen any tactics put into place that have been really successful? Yeah, absolutely. It's a lot of work. You know, first of all, um, you know, every city is very, very different. In Dallas, there's thousands and thousands of optometrists. Um, in uh, northern Indiana, there's only 100. You go to Virginia and all of central Virginia, there's only 80. Um, you go to Florida, there's thousands and thousands. So every market's very different. But let's talk about Dallas. So the first thing an optometrist is going to want before they refer a patient over to an ophthalmologist is they're going to want to make sure they can trust that ophthalmologist. Um, now that's, you know, they want to make sure they can trust not only the ophthalmologist, but, you know, his or her surgical technique, uh, their outcomes, proficiency, and those such things. Um, but it does somewhat boil down to cells 101 simply because whichever ophthalmologist gets out in front of those optometrists more often is going to have top-of-the-mind awareness for those optometrists to refer their patients to. So ophthalmologists will commonly have what's called an optometric liaison or patient liaison or physician liaison. And this is a person that actually goes out into the field to visit optometrists during the visits. They'll visit, they'll, uh, I'm sorry, they'll invite optometrists to upcoming continuing education events, which we'll talk about in just a moment. They'll invite them to come by the office to observe surgeries. If surgeries are performed at a, a local surgery center, um, they'll invite the doctors out to lunch to talk about, you know, ways their practices can work together. So that's a really critical key is having that person out in the field. Number two is by doing CE events or continuing education events, every state's different. But um, all states require optometrists um, to get so many continuing education credits per year. And ophthalmologists have to have uh, CME as well. But for optometrists, their state board regulates how many CEs they have to get per year or continuing education credits. So ophthalmologists can have um, CE events that are going to be um, basically approved by either the state or other regulatory agencies. Now, um, once they get their courses approved, they'll send out invitations to the optometrist, inviting them to come 
um, to the uh, course. Um, optometrists love this because it, it, it educates them on the latest trends in ophthalmology, whether it be ocular surface um, disease, it could be treatment of um, a dry eye before refractive cataract surgery, it could be the latest um, trends in glaucoma care or retina care, you know, and one unfortunate thing going on in eye care right now that I forgot to mention is diabetic retinopathy. You know, diabetes is very prevalent in the U.S. because of our increasing intake of sugar and overeating and, you know, it's causing, a, um, you know, a, an overweight society. And, you know, one of the first places that diabetes forms, unfortunately, is the eye. And um, patients can get a disease called diabetic retinopathy. Um, and it can cause uh, temporary or permanent blindness. So, you know, that's a course that we definitely like to educate op optometrists on even more so, or my clients like to educate them on uh, more so, because it is something that you need to be able to screen for um, early on to catch uh, before the permanent damage is done. Um, so that in a nutshell is a couple things ophthalmologists can do. So CE meetings, physician liaisons, and they can send out uh, quarterly newsletters to kind of keep that top of mind awareness going on. What's happening at that particular practice, that ophthalmology practice that's keeping them on the you know cutting edge of medicine, so to speak. Um, so those are a few of the things. Wow. Well, Paul, I feel like we've covered an awful lot across a, a couple different spectrums and a lot of hard to say um, eye conditions that I'm not going to try to repeat. So I want to thank you for all the information. I'll, I'll have one more question. Um, and again, this has been so informative, but as a thought leader, clearly, could you possibly outline what you foresee in the near future? What's on the horizon uh, within ophthalmology? It could be within marketing or within the healthcare itself. But as we head into 2018, 2019, 2020, what do you foresee happening? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I'm, I'm going back to uh, kind of being a nerd, you know, for us, even though that we're not the surgeon, um, uh, doing surgeries, I really try to uh, train my staff that we're extension of the of the surgeon doing the surgeries, and we're actually helping change patients' lives. You know, by by being able to create better TV commercials or radio commercials or print ads or or web marketing or social media, so we can attract patients to our clients' um, websites, so uh, patients can learn about uh, the the things that our clients can do. Because we only work with the surgeons that we feel really perform best for patients, not only by providing the best technology, but surgical techniques. There's been some really amazing things happen in ophthalmology over the last few years. The premium lenses that I talked about have gotten better and better. Um, laser cataract surgery was FDA approved a few years ago, which is basically uh, makes cataract surgery more precise and more predictable. So I really foresee laser cataract surgery, even having more of a role in cataract surgery. I see premium lenses getting, getting even better, like the eyes, more like the eyes natural lens. And there's going to be some things coming down the pipeline that are, are really exciting. You know, another um, eye disease, keratoconus, which is when the cornea becomes uh, thin in one place. So kerato is the cornea, conus means cone-like. So it's when the cornea becomes cone-like, which can cause permanent blindness. And unfortunately, it's a young person's disease. You'll notice it when they're young. Well, in the past, these patients were really in trouble. They'd have to wear very uncomfortable contact lenses their entire life. Um, and some of these patients would digress to the point where they had to have a full thickness cornea transplant, which means a cadaver's cornea has to be sutured to their cornea. And now we can uh, perform a 
really unique procedure called corneal collagen cross-linking, which uses a vitamin B2 or riboflavin and UV light to basically stiffen the cornea to make it um, harder. And these patients that have this quick 60-second procedure, um, 60 seconds to actually a few minutes, maybe 10 minutes, it allows them to never have further progression in most cases. So imagine your 12-year-old son walks in, he's diagnosed with keratoconus. By the time he's 20 years old, he's in super hard, uncomfortable contacts. By the time he's 25 or 30, he's usually having a cornea transplant. Now your son gets diagnosed with keratoconus and in a quick 10-minute procedure, you don't have to worry about it anymore because of this fascinating but simplistic FDA-approved procedure. So there's going to be more and more revolutionary procedures that are going to be becoming down the pipeline that are going to further prevent blindness and and really help um, ophthalmologists uh, give patients the vision they really deserve. So it's very exciting. That is really exciting, the, the amount of technology that's out there. Our vision is so, so important just to think that it can be corrected in a matter of seconds or minutes uh, and have such a huge impact on a life is um, incredible. Paul, I want to thank you for joining. Uh, again, we've been speaking with Paul Studenbort, founder and president of Denali Creative and one of the leading ophthalmic consultants in the country. Uh, Paul, if people want to learn more, listeners want to uh, find out more, where could they go? Absolutely. So basically, uh, if you'd like to learn more about um, our agency, you can just go to think, T-H-I-N-K, like a question mark, uh, Denali.com. And um, you can learn about our services, what we do, and see some samples of our work. All right, Paul. Well, thank you so much. Again, you've been listening to the Market Scale Health Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Bentley, and we thank you for listening. We'll talk to you all next time. Hey, thanks so much, guys. Bye-bye. I'm your host, Evan Bentley, and we thank you for listening. We'll talk to you all next time.